Hello and welcome to 15 Days of Festive Fear, day number nine. And I have one story for you today and that story comes from the 29th of August, 2023. And our story today comes from Christy. My experiences with the paranormal started at a very young age with the death of my grandmother. I was four when she died very unexpectedly from undiagnosed cancer and my mom and her dad and siblings were distraught. I don't remember this experience itself, but I went into my mom's room early one morning, absolutely bursting to tell her, angels don't have wings, and they're singing to granddad so that he will feel better. She was astonished and asked me to repeat it again to her sisters, and they all cried. I don't recall feeling any grief at all for my grandmother, cold as that sounds. My mom says that at the funeral I said, don't be sad. She doesn't have to be here anymore and she's not in pain and that's very lucky. Apparently I've always been like that. As a very small child, whenever I was frustrated, I would yell, I didn't ask to be here. You're the one that wanted me, so I came. You better figure it out so I don't have to do this again. My mother says this is about the time she started to truly believe in reincarnation. My granddad, a deeply spiritual man, just nodded when she told him about my bizarre choice of words and said, That one was reluctant to come back. I was a strange child. Speaking of my grandfather, he had his own paranormal experience during World War II. He was an officer in the US Army and helped to liberate Buchenwald. But that's not where the experience happened. Rather, he was riding in a truck with several other officers along a road in Germany, going slowly in a line of marching soldiers. When he had a very strong feeling to get out of the truck and walk alongside it. As he did, two men in pristine uniforms came up beside him, took him one by either arm and half carried him into a ditch that ran along the road. Moments later, the truck he had been in exploded, probably from a mine. The two men covered my granddad, flattening him down and then just as suddenly weren't there. Not like they got up out of the ditch to help, they just weren't there anymore. One moment they were lying across him, the next my granddad was alone. I knew there were angels of some kind though, he would say whenever he told this story, because we were all absolutely filthy and they were wearing fresh clean uniforms with the trousers pressed to a crease. Nobody had fresh clean uniforms with pants pressed in 1945. Back to my own experiences. Shortly after my grandmother died, my mom and I went to visit someone from church at their home. Walking up their driveway, I looked inside the open garage door at the woman's husband, who was doing something or other. I can't remember what. I stared. There was another man at the back of the garage, sitting on a chair with his hands in his lap, and he was glowing like an opal. He had no features, just that bright glow interspersed with flashes of red and blue. As I stared, he turned his head a little and looked at me, and I was so struck by the weirdness of him that I just stood there. I was only four, but I knew that people didn't just glow like that. My mom asked me what I was looking at, and I said, The man, because, duh. Of course, she thought it was the husband and told me to follow her inside. When I looked back, the opalescent man was still there, watching me watch him as I followed my mom. When we came out an hour later, he wasn't there. 
To this day, I have no idea what he was. He didn't scare me. Was he a guardian angel looking after the man of the house? I asked my mom about it when I was older, and she said he was alone in the garage that day. So definitely paranormal. Fast forward a couple of years, and my family was making a major transition from living in the San Diego area up north to a small town just outside of San Jose. For my parents, it was a new chance at life, with new careers for both of them. For me, I was one year shy of ten, the year my parents had decreed I could start surfing lessons, and absolutely effing furious that I was being moved from a beachside city to a landlocked town that grew garlic as its primary claim to fame. This was the mid-90s when Garlic Town, as I call it, was still very much a small town with a yearly garlic festival and lots of wide open spaces around town. It was also home to our first haunted house, a nasty little condo in which lived the spirit of a man who liked to watch my mom shower and who watched me whenever I was alone. I hated him utterly and I was glad to leave that condo behind when we moved into a real house. But spirits have always followed in me and my mom's wake. And since moving up north, we've constantly had shadow people, whether or not the house was old or new. I remember thinking, when we moved into our final newly built home, that at least we wouldn't have ghosts anymore. I was wrong. And I never did get surfing lessons. My mom is a violin teacher and she's always seen shadow people watching her violin lessons from the landing over the stairs. They never did anything but watch though sometimes we would hear footsteps. We learned to cast them out by reciting prayers and they'd go away for a bit, but they always came back. I wasn't terrified of them, but they were a bit spooky and weird and I always prayed to not see them or be afraid of them. Only one half of that prayer was answered. When I moved out for college, I mostly left the spirits behind, or so I thought. My first semester of college was spent at a small women's college in Virginia that had such a toxic atmosphere that I left at Christmas and never went back. The ghosts made themselves known immediately and they were not few. I'm pretty sure every part of that campus was haunted, but my dorm was absolutely the worst. I was living in the no-man hall where the ultra-conservative girls who didn't want to have any male visitors were housed. We had a poltergeist. It would turn on the showers and sinks in the communal bathroom. On more than one occasion, I actively watched the knobs turn back on after I had tightly screwed them to off. Maintenance didn't even deal with it anymore. They would just say, oh yeah, that hole is weird, and didn't even come and take a look. I guess they were over it, and who can blame them? The poltergeist would also go into the individual bedrooms and mess around with computers and radios, which drove everyone nuts as it was always when the person who lived in the room was gone and no one could get in to turn off the blasting music. It would also run up and down the hallway late at night and bang on the doors as it passed. For some reason though, it never came into my room and when it did its door banging routine, it always skipped my door. The other girls and I talking about it in between gossiping and reading dirty 17th century poetry, college am I right, could never figure out why I was the special one who didn't get bothered. 
I figured it was because I had prayed over my room, which didn't stand up to scrutiny when you considered that the other girls on the no man hall were also deeply religious and had also prayed over theirs. I chalked it up to good luck, because shadow people are one thing, and poltergeist is entirely another, and I really didn't want to deal with it. Then around Halloween, I figured out why I was being ignored by our unseen prankster, and that I was actually being avoided. One day I came home from class to find a ghost man sitting in my desk chair. I opened my bedroom door, walked in, and there he was, a perfect shadow man just chilling. I stared at him for a long moment, unsure of what to do, and as I did, he raised his hand and waved at me. And then he got up and went to sit on my bed, and that was that. He's never left my side. I sort of sidled into the room and sat at my desk and didn't know what to do. Who was he? Why was he in my room? Why was he following me around? He didn't scare me, even though I could see that he was always there. He was a gentleman. He would wait for me outside of the bathroom or if I was changing in my bedroom. In fact, once the weirdness of it wore off, I realised that I felt really safe really safe, not that false sense of security that we get before something scary happens. With him there, nothing scary could happen, and the poltergeist continued to mess around with everyone but me. I started to call him John. He felt like a John, like a tall man with dark hair and grey eyes. Now, I've always been spooky, loving ghost stories and seances and all things haunted and scary, but I am a first-class wimp about horror movies. Give me a scary book any day. I can't handle watching the screaming and the fear on camera. So naturally when some friends and I spent a Saturday night watching The Ring, I went to bed in absolute terror, convinced that Samara was going to crawl out of my computer and kill me. I was, as they say, absolutely shitting myself. See? First class wimp. I kept the lights on but was nearly in tears. I was so frightened. And then I felt John settle on the bed beside me, that slight dip in the mattress as he sat, and he leaned over and put his arms around me. Not an embrace, mind you, but that kind of tent thing that adults do for kids who are frightened, leaning over them in bed and kind of covering them. Somehow that calmed me right down and I was able to sleep. My very last morning at the college at around 4am, I was getting ready to leave to go back to California for the Christmas break. No one else was awake, and I'm certain of that because it was a janky old building, and I would have heard them. We had a tiny kitchenette at the end of the hall opposite the elevator, and I made myself a quick cup of tea before I went back to fetch my suitcase and go down to meet my ride to the airport. As I was coming back, and only five minutes max had elapsed, I heard a loud pop from the kitchen. I looked in and found a saucepan on the stove which was turned up to its highest setting. Inside the pan was a single egg, exploded. I turned the stove off, shoved the pan into the sink for someone else to deal with, and then I left and never went back. Screw that poltergeist. When I left college, I figured I'd seen the last of John, whoever he was. But nope, he's still here protecting me. I stopped actually seeing him, except sometimes, but that period of my life was extremely dangerous and I felt his presence constantly. 
I was going through the kind of borderline assault bullying that happens when you start breaking away from evangelical society. And he yelled at me from time to time to stop what I was doing and get the hell out of there. The most visceral time was when I was driving home late at night along country back roads and a car stopped ahead of me, its lights flashing. As a single woman, I don't generally stop for parked cars, but for some reason, that night, I thought I would help. Cell reception was not good on that stretch of road, so I figured I would help however I could. I was slowing down when a man's voice shouted at me from the back seat, Do not stop, he will take you into the trees and rape you. Needless to say, I kept driving, and needless to say... There was nobody in my back seat. Years later, I went to a psychic at a local witchy shop. I've broken away from organised religion and have been on my own spiritual path. And this shop was a great meeting place for other witchy folk recovering from religious trauma. The psychic was doing readings in a back room and I signed up just for the fun of it. My philosophy on psychics being that whether or not they have any kind of gift, at least I'll have spent an amusing half hour. So I walked into the back room and her eyes went over my shoulder and she said, Oh, you've got a friend. She went on to describe a tall man with dark hair and grey eyes, whose job it is to keep me safe. He says that he preferred your desk chair because it was more comfortable than sitting on the bed, she told me, and went on to say that the reason I started seeing him when I did was because of all the supernatural shenanigans, her words, at my college. The veil was thin there and he didn't like the energy at all and that's why he stuck to me like glue. But, she added, he's been with you for centuries and he knew you were hesitant to live this life so he lets you know that he's there. That's about the time I started to believe in reincarnation. Keep in mind at this point I had said little more to her than my name and that I had recently broken away from mainstream religion but she confirmed everything I'd come to believe about my guardian angel And since I didn't go around telling people about him, that astonished me. She's one psychic I believe in. I truly understand how completely bonkers all of this sounds, but on my honour as a witch, it's all true. I know I've taken up loads of your time, but I've got one more story to tell that I think you'll like. I'm a former teacher, and during the summer break I used to work as a tour guide at the Winchester Mystery House here in San Jose. A small note about that. Sarah Winchester did not believe she was cursed. She did not build that house to house any spirits killed by Winchester rifles. She did not have a seance room where spirits told her how to build the house. And she did not force her workmen to work on the building around the clock, 365 days a year. All that and more was made up after her death by the carnival barker who bought her house and turned it into a tourist trap. The so-called legend of Sarah Winchester is all a pack of lies created to make money. Who Sarah really was, was a woman in poor health, whose husband had recently died of tuberculosis and whose doctor suggested she move out to California because they believed the warm air would be better for her health. She tried out San Francisco, didn't like it, and moved down to San Jose. Her mansion was not the first house she built either, Sarah was a brilliant amateur architect and had already designed a house on the East Coast. There's another here in Los Altos, just northwest of the main house, that she designed and built for her sister. But obviously, the San Jose house is the most famous. And it is haunted. 
just not by the spirits killed by the Winchester rifle. Nope, it's former staff. She was an amazing boss, paid twice the going rate, didn't charge staff room and board for living in the house or on the property, paid for health care and education for the entire family, let servants' kids play in her garden. It's a small wonder that there are various former servants stationed around the house. Oh, and the spirit of two guard dogs who were buried on the property. Sarah herself is there too. So anyway, I worked there as a tour guide in the summers over the break, and I had the privilege of opening up the house every morning before the public came in. The Winchester Mystery House is enormous, but it's not a particularly weird layout, and it's not even the biggest house in the valley. That would be the Hayes Mansion, which is twice as large and probably just as haunted. I'm not going to lie, it was thrilling beyond belief to walk through that house alone, exploring just because I could. I managed to visit rooms that the public has never seen, leaving notes for other guides to find, a game that we all played, and every day I'm grateful for the experience. Every morning when I arrived, I would change into my Wild West housemaid costume, and then I would walk through the house from back to front and up and down, opening windows and turning on floor fans, because that place is not air-conditioned, and California's summer times are the worst. As I went, I would talk out loud, greeting the house and its occupants, much like one would greet a pet or a friend. Hello house, you're such a gorgeous house, I love the windows in here, and the crown moulding is just gorgeous. Are you ready for the day? It's going to be hot, etc. I got into the habit of talking out loud to the place, pretending that I was talking to Sarah Winchester herself. Yes, I know this sounds silly, but I liked to think that she could hear me. And again, I'm a spooky girl with a lifetime of haunting experience, so you can't really blame me. So I'd go into her main bedroom where she died peacefully in her sleep in 1922. Open the windows, turn on the fan and greet Sarah. Morning, Mrs. Winchester. Isn't it a beautiful day? I do wish we had air conditioning, though. You know, you've got the best view in the house from these windows, etc, etc. I did that the entire summer and every school break that I worked at the house and I always felt a sense of calm and belonging there. I did get my shoulder and back touched regularly by things that weren't there, and one time I felt a hand smooth a bit of flyaway hair back from my face. When that happened, I said, Thanks for fixing my hair, but please don't do that. It takes me ages to get this updo right. And it didn't happen again. So fast forward to the post-lockdown era when I met the psychic I mentioned before. I asked if she had any messages for me. And she replied, Yes, there's a Sarah here. She wants you to know that she always liked waking up to you in the morning. I'm seeing you open curtains. And she wants you to know that she really liked walking with you and listening to you talk about her house. She wishes you would come back to visit her from time to time. Does that make sense? You better believe I took myself right over to the Winchester and had a walk around. It pains me to see how much they still push the bullshit legend because a quick look at the history of San Jose will show you how it's all made up. But if Sarah Winchester asks you to come and visit her, you do. Also, I just adore the idea that she goes on the house tours. All of the guides love her and her home so much, and I believe now that she knows that. Let's go right back to the very beginning of this story, Christy. And I don't want to be the one to say it, but it does sound like that you were a creepy kid. I know you said that you were a strange child, but we're up in the ante here and we're saying that you were actually a creepy kid. I absolutely love the story of your grandfather during World War II. Uh, first of all, 
in saying that he was one of the people who, one of the soldiers who helped to liberate Buchenwald, which must have been an incredibly traumatising experience for everybody involved. It doesn't even, it doesn't even bear thinking about the things that they witnessed. And we hear those stories all the time, that those essentially, those third man stories. But it doesn't sound like your granddad was in that moment in a perilous situation. I know that obviously in wartime, fighting a war, you're in a perilous situation all the time, right? So you must be constantly in a state of fight or flight. But to get a sort of, get out of the truck now and then have two men in pristine uniforms come and lead you to the side of the road and sort of lie on you to protect you during an explosion. Like that is a wild story. And I totally see his point of being like, I knew they were angels because everybody, by 1945, by the end of the war, I imagine that everybody was bedraggled, dirty, filthy, tired, grim. It is unlikely that you'd have two people that were perfectly pristine in their army uniform. And, you know, we've done whole episodes on the third man theory and I feel like there's something in it. And in regards to your opal glowing man, like I wonder how many children are there out there, including you who's listening, including myself. Are there people that we have seen in our childhood and just accepted as real people who have not been real people, who have actually been spirits or visions or whatever. And because when you're a child, you just don't really question things. You don't really think twice about things. I mean, clearly four-year-old you recognised something was awry because you were like, oh, this man is glowing, which is unusual. But it doesn't sound like you really kicked up a fuss about it. And of course you wouldn't because you just continue. You know, you're like, oh, okay, weird, but whatever. And can I just say that Garlic Town sounds like the perfect place to live. Not only is it delicious, but it smells great. Distinct lack of vampires. Perfect. I think even more so than any of the um, paranormal stories within this particular listener submission. I am fascinated by the all women's colleges. Are there simultaneously all men's colleges? Do we have any of those here in the UK? I am fascinated. Like, are they generally for people who are religious? I'm just really fascinated by the whole thing. And it is really fascinating that you ended up with your guardian angel at that point. You know, obviously you've got all this poltergeist activity going on and then it's like, huh, why is this not happening to me but it's happening to everybody else? And then you find out it's a guardian angel. And the fact that the psychic was able to tell you about this person tell you what he looked like when that was what you thought in your mind's eye that he looked like and to tell you that he had been following you for centuries. That's wild. And I'm really glad that that psychic was able to verify for you those feelings, to be able to validate those feelings and say, no, no, you you have had a guardian angel. He was looking after you in the women's only college and he is going to be here for you forever and has been for centuries before. And also that she was able to validate your experiences in the Winchester house. So, so many people over the years have asked me to cover the Winchester house as a main episode. And pretty much the reasons that Christy outlined in, the, in this story is the reasons why I haven't. A lot of the Winchester story seems to be stuff that has been um, accredited to Sarah Winchester after her death. And has not got very much truth in it. It's interesting, like Christy said, that actually, no, the house is haunted, just not in the way that you might think that it's haunted. And how lovely is it that you're able to verify that Sarah Winchester was there with you 
every step of the way and did appreciate you being polite enough to say good morning to her and to love the house and say good morning to the house and whatever. Do you think that Sarah Winchester like has been watching all of the, um, you know, ghost TV shows that have entered her house and been like, oh, I roll. None of that is true. So, you know, whatever. I'm not going to engage with this. I wonder. Thank you so much to Christy for submitting your story. Remember, the story came from the 29th of August, 2023. If you would like to submit your story, you can do so by emailing it to reallifeghoststoriespodcast.gmail.com. You can also check out the website reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. And if you are desperate for some extra content, you can subscribe to the Patreon. That is patreon.com forward slash reallifeghoststories, where for $5 a month or $2 a month, you get access to heaps of extra content, as well as every single main and mini episode completely ad free and on that note i shall see you next time